Welcome to Let's Talk Learning Disabilities with Lori Peterson and Abby Weinstein. Lori and Abby spend their days talking about dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, and ADHD. They talk to parents of struggling students and adults who have had a lifetime of academic challenges. They want to share those stories along with their own insights with you. So, let's talk learning disabilities. Welcome back to Let's Talk Learning Disabilities. This is Lori. Today, um, we are finishing our conversation with Dr. Justin Shalette from, um, he's an optometrist in the Houston area. This is the second part of a conversation that we had. So if you did not hear the first part of this um, interview, please go back to episode number 76 and listen to the first part, then come back and join us today as we um, share the second half of our interview with Dr. Shalette. Hope you guys enjoy it. How do you respond to people that say that it's not vision therapy or this type of, of problem. It's not research-based. It's not, there's not, a, we get a lot of parents that will do their home, you know, they go mm-hmm. get on Google after we give a, you know, tell them kind of what we think it is. And they'll come back to us and say, you know, I, I, this, it's, exp- it's expensive. It's not always covered by insurance. And it, I don't really see a lot of like research behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've even had, I had a pediatrician at one point that I, we tested her daughter and she thought I was crazy when I told her what I, what the, you know, where I felt the problem was that's been several years. So I'm hopeful, hopefully, you know, more research has come along, but how do you respond to that? That's a hard question to answer. Um, so thankfully I don't get that often, uh, because it's very hard to answer. Mm-hmm. So the, the short answer is that there aren't very many vision therapy optometrists because, once you graduate optometry school, you effectively have to go into a whole nother educational zone to learn this type of work. So it's a whole, it's a whole lot more hours spent, money spent, time away from the office, weekends to learn this stuff. So there's not a lot of us that do that. So the, the percentage of optometry is very small. Yeah, the specialization is a very small field. And whenever you're talking about research, research is... Unfortunately, research is very geared towards money, right? So there is a really phenomenal study called the CITT, which they spent like $14 million to prove that vision therapy is done in the office is the most effective way of treating the condition called convergence insufficiency. When you talk about research, you're, you know, researchers are trying to figure out what they can do to help industry create more techniques or more... Uh, treatment options, and there's a there's a large backing behind it. So whenever you don't have a lot of people doing it, it's hard to justify uh, doing a research article on this versus something else. The other really hard thing is that when you're talking about therapy, you're dealing with. Well, let's go to a different comment. For example, the easiest type of research is done on like bacteria, right? Where you can take an antibiotic one very specific antibiotic and create that for one very specific bacteria, gram positive, gram negative, whatever. You have a one-to-one ratio. It's a very cause and effect. Well, in therapy, in any type of therapy, whether it's occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech therapy, vision therapy, 
you don't have a one-to-one -one correspondence. You can't say that this one activity deals with that one outcome. Right. There are so many variables that you just quite simply can't control. And when you have tried to control them, it's taken years to design those studies to hone it down to having that level of specificity. So it's really complicated to make a study that does this. And when you do find a study that's out there, oftentimes they're poorly done. Um, there was a recent study out there called the CITT-ART that sort of said that vision therapy is no better than placebo for improving reading skills. But when you dig into the study itself, the outcome that they say doesn't necessarily match what they wrote inside the study. Yeah, it's one of those instances where uh, the, the sound bites don't match the data, mm -hmm. right? And then whenever you look at the activities that they did for both the placebo groups and the therapy groups, that they weren't truly placebo activities. A lot of them were very tried and true vision therapy activities. Mm -hmm. And the result of that was that both the placebo, quote unquote placebo group, and the treated group, both of them had improvements in attention reading comprehension, like everything went up for both groups. It's just that the vision therapy group allegedly didn't have a higher statistical significance than the placebo group. Although again, the devil's in the details and both groups improved regardless. So you really have to dig into the studies themselves to figure out, you know, okay, well, what's going on? Um, so it's, it's really tough. And then the other challenge is that when we talk about vision science, a lot of the research isn't in optometry or ophthalmology journals. It's in a psychology journal where they're talking about perceptual learning, or it's in a, let's say, a brain injury journal talking about doing these activities for the traumatic brain injury population. So a lot of the research even isn't coordinated in one specific area, so it's even harder to find. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, uh, one other comment that I wanted to make too is that, you know, the one one thing that I'll say is that, well, you also if you look at occupational therapy, speech therapy, physical therapy, they don't have as many studies as you would think either, and yet they're equally supported. Right. So, it's 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 a complicated world. It, it, a lot of it deals with uh, money at the end of the day. Right, and it it almost seems like because it's more frequently talked about and you hear about it more often, you know, occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech therapy, people believe that it's a type of therapy that can really be effective, you know, at improving. Absolutely. Whereas vision therapy, you don't hear about it as often, I think. Are there ever, are there ever any instances where the therapy can be covered under insurance or do you foresee that being something down the road? I know insurance doesn't seem to be getting better or it gets worse, but... Is that something you could? Yeah. Um, historically, back in the day, it actually used to be covered by insurance. Uh, and then something changed. Who knows? Uh, whether or not it will be, that's really hard to say. Um, ins there's too few people doing it. So I can't see an insurance company wanting to cover it because it's not something that is going to be detracting a lot of their resources. Mm -hmm. And the other challenge is that whenever you're doing therapy, and this is with any type of therapy, whether it's educational therapy, uh, physical therapy, occupational speech, whatever it is, you're always dealing with a, a person. So we do therapy with people, not to people. 
And so we can make a good guesstimation of how long somebody would need for remediation of whatever condition. But it's always just a guesstimation because they might blow it out the water and do so much better more quickly than we thought, or they might kind of drag their feet and it takes a lot longer than anticipated. Right. So it's, it's always really hard to, to say the exact number and the exact activities and the exact XYZ that you need in a very rigorous uh, algorithmic um, program. That makes sense. Yeah. So I, I did want to quickly ask, I just want to hear what your answer or what your response would be to someone who comes and says, I'm pretty sure my child or I'm pretty sure myself that I have dyslexia because I mix up letters and numbers. I sometimes like transpose letters, put them in the wrong order. I sometimes write backwards or I reverse my B and D and my P and my Q. So what would you say to, you know, uh, to someone beyond those early developmental stages where that's pretty common and, and developmentally appropriate, like kinder first, early second grade. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's say if somebody were to call my office right now with that type of thing, what I would do is I would send them my intake form. Um, and on my intake form, I have so many different checkpoints. So for example, you know, once somebody starts saying that, Uh, I just pulled up my intake form here for children. And what you would then ask is, okay, well, do you get bothered by light? Do you blink often? Do you sometimes have trouble seeing near and distance? Do you move your head when you read? Do you skip reading? Do you, as you're reading along a line of text, do you jump over the words? Do you kind of jump between the lines? Do you have to use your finger as a marker? Do you uh, have difficulty with memory? Do you remember things better? what you hear versus what you see. So I would just continue on and I would ask them a whole lot of questions to help them recognize, oh, hey, yeah, um, wait a second, that might in fact be me. And then what you do is you say, yeah, so, you know, what we do is we, in order to know how to diagnose you, we then have to get you in in for an evaluation. And during our evaluations, we look at the three major types of eye movements, going back to that concept earlier of eye movements versus visual thinking when we talk about functional vision. And we say that in order to read anything, you have to first, well, first you have to see it clearly, right? You can't read anything if it's super blurry. So we have to look at the quality of your eyesight. We have to judge whether or not you need reading glasses, distance glasses, whatever. But then we have to look at your eye movements. If your eyes can't point for one, if they can't both point at the same place, if your left eye points at the word V, but your right eye points at the word cat, your brain sees two superimposed things. It's very confusing. Mm. You have to know, do your eyes both point at the same place? Then you have to judge, okay, how do the eyes track? Do they move along accurately? How do the eyes focus? Does one eye work harder than the other? Does your right eye get real fuzzy because it just doesn't have the stamina to support focusing on the paper? And maybe that's why you struggle with reading since in English we read uh, left to right. And if you have more trouble with your right side or your right eye, your right peripheral vision, your right quality of sight, clarity, whatever it is, you're often going to struggle as you move into that right field of gaze. So we then explain what we're looking for during an evaluation. And then at the end of that evaluation, if we find a diagnosis, well then, hey, we know functionally, mechanically, anatomically, you have a 
fundamental impediment as to why you're struggling with reading. Let's get this fixed up. And then if you have other concerns, you know, the B's and D's, P's and Q's, we can always run into a visual perceptual evaluation where we evaluate those visual skills. But a lot of times, cleaning up the eye movements and getting the eye alignment straight, getting the good depth perception, getting both eyes to work at the same time while looking at a paper, a lot of times that does wonders. So uh, I, haven't, I haven't done personally a visual perceptual evaluation in a while because when you find all those, those just fundamental issues and you clean up a lot of that, a lot of things improve, especially when you do quality vision therapy. One thing that I hear very often from parents, I, I don't really make it to the stage of working handwriting in my office, but one thing that I hear very often is as I'm doing vision therapy with, well, as my assistant's doing vision therapy with somebody, um, parents will say that, the child's spacing improves between the letters. They're able to better keep the words on the line of text or on the little blue line on the, the college rule or wide rule paper or whatever. They keep it on the line of text. They space it normally, and it's not uphill or downhill or scrunched up. Mm -hmm. And that's just through improving how they're able to judge where things are supposed to be yeah. and know the proper relationship between things in the world to them in between them and the things in the world. And so some of that's because we just actually looked at one today. That's a lot of like that spatial planning. We had a student who started their sentence in the middle of the page, only wrote two or three words and then went to the next line instead of being able to see there was still plenty of space left on that line. They're, they weren't able to, to visually plan. That sounds like a classic, uh, a classic issue. And that, you know, what I also talk about is I talk about kids lost in space. So you'll see like a, let's say like an ADHD kid, one, somebody who's just hyperactive all over the place. Well, a lot, a lot of times those kids are both lost in time and space because time is the fourth dimension of vision. So they, they often have really poor rhythm. They often have really poor ability to know where they're at, where things are at, how they're going to get to someplace, how long it'll take them to get to somewhere. Because sometimes a kid will just try to really quickly scribble all on the page because they don't know how to judge the time that it'll need for doing an activity, so to say. And then you have to help that kid find where they're at. You have to help them learn how to use their visual attention to guide and direct their movements, to guide and direct their actions, their judgments. And as you do that, as you help them learn how to engage with a task, how to disengage with a task, how to engage with another task, all through the visual system, a lot of that will look so much better at the on the other end of the program. Okay, so I have a really quick personal question I'm going to throw out. Sure. So, um, and anyone in this office can speak to this. I have a really hard time parking. Like when I pull into a parking space, I think that I'm going far, like especially when I'm turning into the right. When I'm coming from the left, I'm fine. But if I'm turning in right to a parking space, I end up way over to the right and all the space on the left. And But visually, as I'm pulling in, I'm like, oh, I got it this time. I am right in the middle. And I get out of the car and I'm like, what just happened? So is that a, a product of old age or is it visual perceptual? So, uh, well, so another side comment, whenever we use, whenever developmental optometrists use the phrase visual perceptual, again, that's kind of that visual thinking skill. Um, so me hearing that, I wouldn't say old age, I would say wisdom, right? <laughs> um, and what happens whenever you get to a certain stage in life is that your ability to judge where things are at kind of goes out of the door. You know, whenever you start needing a reading glass full time, mm -hmm. 
your ability to judge where things at and how you perceive. So for example, if your eyes point too far away, you'll perceive something as further away than it actually is. If your eyes pull in too much, you'll perceive something as closer than it actually is. If you're looking into right gaze versus looking over towards the left, you might have a difference in how your two eyes team and how you tell depth off on that side relative to another. So whenever I hear that, I would be really curious to see how you're able to coordinate your two eyes together and judge in depth perception when you're looking over towards your right or when you have something between you and where you're looking, right? Because if you're in the driver's seat, you're turning right, you have the passenger seat, you have the hood of your car, you have the back end of the other car. Whereas if you're on the left side, you just have you, the window, and then the space that you're turning into. So I'd be curious to see what your depth perception looks like in your ability to perceive the space in that direction versus the other. It's not at all uncommon to So what I'm hearing you say is, there's hope for me. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. So uh, funny enough, a lot of the adults that I see in my office are, well, so I, thinking development, we all undergo development in different phases, right? Your little kids, your middle age, your older adults. So a lot of the adults that I see that are older than 45, 50, a lot of them come to see me because of very explicitly issues with driving. Mm. Now, the most common thing that I hear are complaints about anxiety while driving, like they feel like they can't judge around them. Or I had one lady talk about the flicker in between trees, like she couldn't deal with the flicker that it creates and the motion of the trees as she drives down the road. And then I have some people who, uh, they just don't feel comfortable when they drive and you do a very thorough, very precise examination and you find that they have issues with their eye alignment. Maybe it's a subtle vertical deviation or maybe it's a subtle horizontal problem. Or maybe it's a problem with using both to judge the the depth. Maybe your brain suppresses or it ignores the information under one eye when you're really trying to use both together to Mm. accurately judge where something's at. And so you you help them out. You do a lot of 3D activities. You use a lot of lenses, prisms, red-green targets, and you're able to really do some remarkable things to help people feel more comfortable when they drive. There's no age limit to treating these Mm. conditions. Okay, I have one more question and then we got to wrap up. Mm-hmm. So my last oh, question nice. is we ha- we do have students that come in and I know back in the day um, that use co- colored overlays. Right. Is that a thing? Does that really help? And Or is there a better way to, to help and yes. treat the issue? So uh, I can go off on a long tangent about that because down here in Houston, they still have a few people who are doing, who are doing Erlen's mm-hmm. analyses. And that's a long topic that's a long hard thing to discuss very heated conversation but what whenever i hear a colored overlay to me that's a great red flag and i mean great red flag saying hey that's a kid with a vision problem that we can help they went out of their way to find some sort of remedy to find some sort of band-aid to get them the assistance and it's like they're just waving a flag in the air hey i need help Mm -hmm. So that's a phenomenal way to screen. Honestly, that's probably better than any vision screening you can have whenever you find a kid that needs a colored overlay. Um, Now, colored overlays can absolutely be helpful uh, because they modify the contrast. They modify, uh, sometimes they can have some optical effects that can be more comfortable to look through. Uh, in my office, I see a lot of concussion patients and we'll find that blues can be very comfortable to look through. It just kind of takes the edge off the intensity of what you look at. 
But for children, it creates a very great high contrast. Here's the information, there's not the information that you need to see. Mm. So they can serve a purpose, um, but to that, I then say, well, then what are you doing on the computer? Are you putting your colored overlay on the computer? Right. Or are you putting your colored overlay on the phone? Mm -hmm. Or is it just on the testing things that you're being asked to look at? Because they're going to go back about the rest of their day and having the problem. Right. So maybe that would be another episode we could do with you to talk about Erlen, because we do have... We do still hear that. And I know back in the day, 20 years ago, we actually had someone in our district who was trained to screen for Erlen. Erlen screen. Yeah, Erlen syndrome. So that might be a whole nother, a whole nother episode is to, to, to debunk that, so to speak. Mm -hmm. That would be really interesting, sure. Yeah. Um, I do have to say there is science to color. Uh, you know, don't get me wrong. Um, but it's all what I will say is that Erlen's is a great screening for a child with a vision problem. And that's kind of where I'll leave that. Right. That's, that's kind of how I feel too. And, and I would say that if I'm hearing you correctly also about the colored overlays that a child, you know, or an individual being able to read easier with a blue or green overlay on their page indicates some visual issues rather than they must have dyslexia. Oh, 100%. Yeah, because if you think about it, you know, going back to the concept of what is dyslexia, well, it, a lot of it's a... Phonological. Issues with inside. Well, a, a lot of it's a language mm -hmm. thing, right? So if you think, okay, so if I look at a page and I see the word uh, phoneme, let's just say, a child's going to, with dyslexia, of course, is going to have difficulty breaking down the word phoneme when they look at it, right? But they're going to have difficulty whether it's the only word on the page written in size 72 font, whether it's written in 12-point font in a paragraph, whether it's got a blue, purple, yellow, orange overlay on it. They're going to have dif difficulties regardless. Right. So it doesn't do anything to make their reading easier. It makes it more comfortable for them to look at something, and it enhances the contrast, meaning that they can find where it's at easier. It's like putting a spotlight onto the person that you're looking at in the audience. But they'll still have the trouble with the interpretation of that which they're looking Makes at. Makes sense. I like that. Yeah. That's a perfect explanation. It is perfect. Well, thank you so much for taking your time today to be with yes. us. We appreciate this. Again, this has been so helpful, so informative. I love the things that we've covered that we probably haven't talked about before. Yeah. And absolutely. hearing about it from a different perspective has been amazing. So we very much appreciate it. If anyone needs to find you or would like to reach out to you with questions or come in for an evaluation, can you share your website? Yeah. My website is simply texasvisiontherapy.com. Uh, you can also find us on TikTok every so often. I'll put a bunch of videos there. Oh, good to know. Um, again, it's just uh, Texas Vision Therapy. Um, and yeah, thank you for inviting me. This was a lot of fun. Good. I appreciate the invitation and it was very nice talking with the both of you. It was yeah, very, too. very wonderful and very informative. We'll make thank sure you. that we have the link to his website in our um, show notes so that if anyone wants to click on that and, and reach out and ask some questions or sure. potentially set up a, an appointment for themselves or their child. Um, we, and that COVD website too, we can link that in the show notes as well. We use that to help help find doctors in outside of our area. So yeah, that's a website we're very do. familiar with. Mm -hmm. um, so thank you so much for being here. Um, Abby, tell us about our podcast website. So if you would like 
to access all of the podcasts we've recorded, you can go to our podcast website at www.ltldpodcast.com. You can find all episodes in chronological order, or you can even choose them by categories and groupings. And then, of course, if you have questions for us or recommendations for topics for future episodes how can they reach us let's talk learning disabilities at gmail.com just shoot us an email we are happy to answer any questions that you have um if you have a question about yourself or your child and learning um or like abby said have some suggestions about maybe some future topics um for our for our podcast we, we are happy to take those so Thank you guys for being here today. Thank you um, for listening and have a great rest of your day. Bye, everyone. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us today. In our show notes, you can find information about today's talk, as well as links to resources and other episodes. If you have questions about today's talk, have ideas for future episodes, or just want to stay connected, You can contact us through Diagnostic Learning Services on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. So, let's keep talking learning disabilities. This podcast is sponsored by eDiagnostic Learning. You can find more information at www.ediagnosticlearning.com.